0: Crossway Church Sermon Audio. We will be in Psalm 10 today, Psalm 10, and thinking through something called lament and how we can lament in a way that honors God and that helps us trust him when we are facing hardship and evil and heartache in this world. Please, if you have your Bibles, do turn to Psalm 10. I should mention here at the start that I received a lot of guidance for this sermon from a book called Dark Clouds Deep Mercy by a pastor from Indianapolis called Mark Vrogop. And it's a fantastic book and I commend it to you. Now, Christmas is here and this is supposed to be a time of joy, time of cheer and celebration. And sometimes the message out there seems to be that it will be. It will be a time of joy and celebration. It will be a time of cheer for anyone who will just choose to focus on what really matters. Sometimes this is presented as something that is should be easy to do. Just make the choice. Just make the choice. Now, of course, biblically, it's true that what we think on, what we meditate on, shapes our outlook and our emotions. Scripture tells us to think about certain things and to put on certain lines of thinking and it tells us not to think about other things and to put off other lines of thinking. We must renew our minds. But what are we supposed to do when hardship and pain, when disappointment or grief feels all-consuming? and it's all we can think about. As we approach Christmas, I imagine there's at least some of us here today who feel somewhat powerless to have your thoughts dwell on anything other than how deeply you've been hurt by some family members, how strained and awkward things are between certain family members who will not be with you this Christmas? Well, perhaps it's the fact that here you are at yet another Christmas where you're still single, you're still longing for children. Christmas may not feel like an occasion for joy and good cheer. It may feel much more like an occasion for salt and sore wounds. Reality is that life can really hurt And if we're honest, sometimes God's ways don't make a whole lot of sense to us. We know what the Bible says about God being good, about God being holy and just, about him being gracious and merciful, about his love for his people. But life doesn't always seem to match up with that, does it? My friends, there's at least two unhelpful responses when we're in the midst of painful and confusing times. One is despair. We allow ourselves to focus on the pain or injustice we're going through in such a way that it becomes all that we see. And we neglect to remember God. Essentially, we end up facing our pain alone. Practically... We treat the situation as as if God isn't there for you, as if he isn't working all things out for the good of his people, as if you have no real hope. A second unhelpful response is denial. Downplaying how hard things are, as if the only way we can really, really bring ourselves to say God is good as if things aren't really all that bad. But neither of these responses is helpful. Neither of these responses is helpful. God can be trusted to work all things for good always. Amen and amen. But that does not change the fact that we live in a fallen, broken world where sickness, sadness, pain, grief, and injustice are very real, very real. So how then do we reconcile these things? How should we respond when life hurts and God doesn't seem to make sense? And the Bible shows us how and that is through lament. Now to lament is to express grief, sorrow, regret or disappointment and biblical lament The lament we see in the scriptures is a God-centered way of expressing these emotions and indeed of processing through these emotions, of working through pain and confusion towards the solid ground of confident trust and hope in God. That's the goal. That's the goal. Confident trust and hope in God. Right now I might feel pain and confusion... But confident hope and trust in God is the goal and biblical lament is the pathway to get there. Biblical lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It is a pathway to praise when life is hard. It's a journey of the heart in faith with God from beginning to end. And I say it's a journey of the heart because it's not just about saying or doing the right things, jumping through a few hoops. It's about progressing to the point where we more deeply believe and feel the right things. And it's a journey of faith because we hold on to the belief We hold on to the belief that God really is who he says he is, even when life doesn't look like it or feel like it. And it's a journey with God, and this is hugely important. It's a journey with God from beginning to end, meaning we cry out to God to help us walk this journey step by step, and we rely on him from beginning to end. We don't try to make this journey alone. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is wonderfully raw and honest. If people ever try to tell you that the Christian life is anything like just sticking your head in the sand and pretending that that life is not hard, they are talking rubbish. Christianity is not playing pretend. It's not. It's not just wishful thinking to help us feel better. It's not downplaying things. Time and time again, you will find that the biblical language of lament is incredibly honest, uncomfortably honest. And it's not like there are just one or two examples of this either. There's far more lament in the scriptures than I ever realized. I, I, in, I've come to realize now one-third of the psalms, over 50 psalms, are lament psalms. The Bible very clearly understands that there is a lot of hardship in life, and that believers will wrestle with how those hardships in life often don't make sense. Okay, so how do we lament biblically? Well, the lament psalms are not all 100% exactly like this in their pattern, but here are the main ingredients, the, the usual flow or progression of thought in a lament psalm. We could call it the journey of lament. Biblical lament has these four parts turn, complain, ask, and trust. Turn. Turn to God in prayer and be honest with him about how you feel. Complain. Tell God your reasons for pain and confusion. Honestly. Ask. Boldly ask God to act according to his character and his promises. And trust. Reaffirm who you know God to be and choose to trust him. We'll see this play out in Psalm 10. We'll look at Psalm 10 as a case study of lament. The various lament psalms lament a wide variety of different things. There's a wide variety of reasons why the various psalmists are expressing pain, grief, fear, regret, sorrow. Psalm 10 specifically laments injustice in this world injustice. Okay, the first step in Psalm 10, the first step in this lament journey, turning to God in prayer. We see that in Psalm 10 verse 1, as the psalmist turns to God with raw, honest questions. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I said the language of lament can be a bit uncomfortable. Starts that way, (laughs) Right, right from the very beginning of this psalm. And as we continue in this psalm, we see the psalmist complain, complain to God about wicked people who are selfishly pursuing what they want and are willing to hurt and harm others to get it. Where is God in these situations? It it feels like he must be standing far away. Far away. So far away that he can't possibly see what's going on. He can't see these painful, hurtful things going on because otherwise surely they wouldn't be going on. Why is he not acting? He's too far away even perhaps to hear our prayers for help. That's how this psalm begins. But this psalmist has been wrestling with God about this for long enough that he actually has an even, uh, an even more painful suspicion. Maybe it's worse than just that God's far away. Maybe he doesn't want to see or hear. Maybe he does know what's going on. He does know that we're looking for him but he's avoiding us. He doesn't want to help, he's hiding from us. It's a vivid, disturbing picture. Imagine with me that you have a severe head wound and your face is covered in blood and you're holding your head as blood pours down the side of your face and it's obvious that you're in in distress and trouble and you're pounding on the door of a good friend's home This is where I'll find hope. This is where I'll find help. And you're pounding on the door and you're thinking, oh man, he's not home, he's not home. I need his help, but he's not home. And then the next thing out of the corner of your eye, you see he's peeking at you from behind the curtain and then pulling it shut. He has seen you. He does know what you're going through, but he's not coming through to help. What is going on? What is going on? The psalmist here refers to God by his name, Yahweh. I'm sure many of you know this already, but in your Bibles when you see the word Lord in all capitals, it's translating the name of God, Yahweh. And this name of God is the name that God gave Moses to use for him when he delivered his people from slavery. This is a name associated with God as the deliverer, the rescuer. The psalmist here is crying out to Yahweh the deliverer. I need your help, Yahweh. But are you hiding from me? Where are you? Come through for me. Now if you've ever been in a situation where life feels that way, God just feels completely distant or you're starting to wonder if he actually cares it can be awful confusing desperate painful hard to know how to move forward but my friends faith says I'm still going to talk to God about this he may seem distant I might question whether he even cares, but I do believe he is good, and I do believe he loves me. I might be struggling to believe it, but I believe it, and God, help my unbelief. I'm not giving up on him. I need him, and I'm going to turn to him. See, brothers and sisters, Christian faith laments Christian faith laments. Christian faith engages with God about these things. You see, the atheist has no God to talk to, right? And someone who's decided, who's made up his mind, that if there's a God out there, he's not a God powerful enough to help them or compassionate enough to care, he doesn't even try to engage God. He gives up on praying. But the act of going to God, the act of engaging Him, as raw and irreverent as this may seem, it is an act of faith. And Christian faith keeps talking to God, holds on to Him for dear life. My God is real. My God is able. My God cares. I will go to Him. That's step one of the journey turn to god don't just face your pain or hardship alone please go to god and what, is, what does faith say to god do we have to get our words just right do we have to pray in super spiritual christianese are only certain topics allowed can we be honest with god when we're upset about life when we wish he was ruling over things a little differently. Or when we don't understand what he's doing, must we, must we pretend everything is fine. When things are painful and confusing, we can, right, we can feel paralyzed in prayer because we don't want to be presumptuous or impertinent. We want to honor God. We want to be reverent. And it can, be, it can be paralyzing. And oftentimes there's a trap we can slip into. We can default to thinking we need to process things on our own first. Okay? Let me not get this wrong. <laughs> let, me, let me not say something out of place. So let me, let me just not talk to God about this just yet. Let me work through things to the point where I know exactly what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it, then I can pray. But friends, you need God in the mix of that moment. We need to talk to him in the midst of the messiness, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the confusion. We need to remember that he knows all the specifics of what we are going through and he does care. He's there for us. And we need his help. We need his help if we are to move our hearts from that place of pain and confusion to a place of confident trust and hope. We need to go to him in prayer rather than trying to figure it out ourselves. Pain hurts. Sadness is sad. Injustice is wrong. And we can be honest with God about all those things. We can and we must be honest with God about all those things. And the psalmist models this for us here in Psalm 10 in verses 2 to 11. He's raw in his engagement with God. He explains to God what it is that's bothering him and why he feels the way that he does. That's step two of our lament journey. Complain. 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 As we've already mentioned, the issue in Psalm 10 is these uh, is the injustice around the psalmist, and he's complaining to God here about wicked men in his community. He says they are preying on the innocent. Verse eight tells us that the wicked person ambushes and murders innocent people. Verse nine describes him like a lion hiding in thick bush, waiting for his prey. He's a predator and his prey is his fellow human being. The end of verse nine describes him as a hunter who sets out nets to trap his victims. He schemes, he plans, all with the goal of tricking people and trapping them to prey on them, take advantage of them. And all in all, verse 10 summarizes and says that the helpless are crushed, they sink down, and they fall by his might. Sadly, our fallen world is full of predatory people. People who advance their own wealth, power, comfort, or pleasure, and are all too willing to hurt or harm others to get what they want. People who feed on others. And as as is so often the case, sadly, The wicked especially target the vulnerable. Those who are in desperate situations and are less able to defend themselves. And the psalmist describes at least some of this wicked man's victims as the poor, the helpless, the fatherless, or in other words, the the orphan. And oftentimes in other places in scripture when we see this theme, uh, the Bible will also include in this category of the vulnerable, the widow and the sojourner, or the refugee. A dear sister in Christ from our sending church, Living Hope, back in Pretoria, shared with me once about a previous pastor she had had. She's physically disabled, and she was facing a a number of significant trials in her life, including significant marital difficulty. And she and her husband were going to this pastor for counsel and care. He convinced her to take early retirement and to give all of it to the church as a seed of faith. And when she did so, he disappeared. No trace of him. Gone. He deceived her. He drew her into a trap. And once he'd caught her in his net and taken from her all he wanted, He took off a predator, preying on desperate people. And brothers and sisters, even if we are not the victims ourselves, this sort of thing should bother us, just like it does the psalmist here. Another big part of his complaint is that these wicked men are arrogant and renounce God. They're described as arrogant, as boasting, as being full of pride. And their attitude towards God reveals more of just how arrogant they are. Verse three says, the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In other words, in both words and actions, he's not recognizing God as God. He's acting as if God isn't ruling and reigning. He's acting as if God doesn't have authority over him, as if God is not king. Verse four says he doesn't seek God. All his thoughts are there is no God. Verse five tells us he doesn't pay attention to God's laws. He puffs at his foes. He treats any enemies he has as if they're nothing to be taken seriously. Puffs at them. In verse six, the wicked man says, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. Verse 11, God has forgotten. He's hidden his face. He'll never see it. You hear this man's incredible arrogance. He thinks he's untouchable, even by God. No one's going to stop him. And his reign of terror And that arrogant stance towards God rightly grieves the psalmist. It rightly grieves the psalmist and it should grieve us. And even worse, in the eyes of the psalmist, the way things seem to be playing out right now, the way things look, this wicked, arrogant man is getting away with this. He's prospering. Verse 5 says his ways prosper at all times. It doesn't just go well for him once or twice. He is consistently succeeding in his wickedness. And rightly, the psalmist feels that this should not be. So he complains to God, raw, honest complaint. And then he takes the next step of the journey of lament. He asks. He sees these things around him, they grieve him. He's confused by God's lack of action to stop these things because it doesn't seem to fit with who he knows God to be. But still here in faith, he chooses to believe, still believe, yes, this is the way it looks, but I know who God is. I know what the Bible says about God even if life seems to be saying something different. And out of that belief, out of that faith, he boldly asks God to act. The psalmist cries out to God in verse 12, arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. It's a bold battle cry. Take action, please, God. Fight, please, God. Help the victims. And in verse 15, he asks, break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. That sounds quite brutal, doesn't it? Break his arm. The main point, though, is this is a call to bring an end to this evil man's wicked ways. Stop him, God. Make it make him unable to continue what he's doing. And then in verse 15b. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Essentially, right? This is a call for God to bring him to justice and total justice to punish him for every last wicked thing he's done. Help the victims, God. Hold the wicked accountable. That's his plea. And we see here the step four in the journey of lament in this psalm, trust. The psalmist reminds himself and affirms to God what he knows to be true. And what is true? What is true, brothers and sisters? This looks a certain way. It looks like this wicked man is ruling and reigning with nothing to stop him. Looks like he's getting away with it. But Yahweh is king forever and he will bring about justice. The victims will be helped. The wicked will be punished. And mere man will strike terror no more. We see that here in verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. Remember? Yahweh. Lord in caps. The psalmist is affirming here that Yahweh... Yahweh specifically, this personal God that Israel has a history with, Yahweh only. He is king, he's king now, and he will always be. This wicked man may may renounce Yahweh, but Yahweh is king. The wicked man may think, I shall not be moved throughout all generations, But here in verse 16b, the psalmist states the truth. Entire wicked nations opposed to God perish from the land. You're just one wicked man. Entire wicked nations perish from the land. This arrogant wicked man is wrong. He's full of boasting, but he is wrong. He is no match for God. Yahweh is king. And the wicked man may think that God will never see the wicked things he's doing. God will not call him to account, but he's wrong. Verse 14 makes clear, God does see and God takes note, it says here, of mischief and vexation. That is, he sees the things that the wicked man does to cause trouble and to bring about suffering. He sees it, he takes note of it all, and he does so for a reason. And what is that reason? So that he may take it into his hands. So that every wicked deed can and will be judged. This wicked man will be punished according to what he deserves. It may look otherwise, but this wicked man will get away with absolutely nothing. In verses 17 and 18, the psalmist says to God, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will incline your ear in order to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. In other words, the victims will be helped. Justice will be done. It seemed like God was far off not seeing or hearing. It seemed like he didn't care and was hiding his face. But he does see and he does hear. And because he does, the wicked will be punished and the victims will be helped. This psalm started off with a complaint to God about the reign of terror inflicted by this wicked man. And it ends here in verse 18 with the affirmation that God will act so that... Man who is of the earth may strike strike terror no more. The wicked man is of the earth. He's just dust. He's just dust. Yahweh is God. Yahweh reigns forever and ever. In this psalm, we've seen this journey, right? Right? of how things look to the psalmist, to the reality of God's righteous and good rule, of God rescuing the helpless and holding the wicked accountable. But friends, we need to remember, right, it's, we can't wrap everything up in life in a nice neat package with a nice neat bow. Our God is not a vending machine He won't always answer our prayers in the specific way we'd like them to be answered or on our preferred timeline. We may not even see our prayers answered tangibly in this life. But one day, one day, justice will be done and every tear will be wiped away. And that day is coming. We also see in this psalm, very importantly, right, that this is not just about that reality, the reality of the the, the storyline of the world. It's also about the reality of what's happening in our hearts. What's happening in our hearts. We see the journey of the psalmist's heart as he talks to God about his confusion and about God's apparent lack of action. And he goes from that place of confusion to a place of confident trust that God will act in accordance with his character. As verse 17 puts it, God strengthens the heart of sufferers. God strengthens the heart of sufferers. That's what lament is about, looking to God in the midst of our pain and confusion to strengthen our hearts, to help our faith, to help us trust, to help us look forward with confident hope. A closing thought as we approach Christmas. The psalmist's complaint at the beginning of the psalm was, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why are you so distant? But in Matthew 1.23 we read, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. My friends, God may seem far off, but Christmas reminds us of what is true. We do not have a God who stands far off, indifferent and uncaring, but a God who enters into our broken world to be with us and address our need. And because he did draw near and enter into our broken world to live life like us and be our sinless substitute. Hebrews 4 tells us, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God, the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of Christmas, we can call upon Jesus in the midst of our hardships. And we can know that he understands life in this broken world. He cares and he's eager to give us the help we need. Most strikingly, one of the most famous laments we know of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced the feeling of God abandoning him. He had to cry out and lament. And he did it for us. And because of what Jesus accomplished in his incarnation, he he has secured a future for all who trust in him, where we will experience the nearness of God forever. It may feel like he's distant now, but we will experience the nearness of God forever. Revelation 21 Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Life is is hard, it's painful, it's confusing. But this is true, and it is glorious truth, isn't it? Amen. Thank you. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.